What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today we're going to be talking Watchmen. Now, not just the original graphic novel, we're probably going to touch on that, but we're going to talk about everything around Watchmen, before Watchmen and after Watchmen, Doomsday Clock, the HBO series. Uh, but I'm not going to do this on my own. Uh, I've brought my good friend Julian Darius along to talk about Watchmen as well. So, Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and it is a special pleasure to be back on 20th Century Geek. Excellent. I'm glad to have you back. It's uh, exciting time to have you back, because obviously we've kicked off our uh, other podcast, uh, Stories Out of Time and Space, um, and uh, we've got a couple of episodes out, so it's, it's exciting times for us in the podcasting world. Yeah, and I hope that uh, listeners will listen to both and that there will continue to be crossovers between the two. Yes, yes, there will indeed. So today we are going to be talking about Watchmen. Um, and I think it's only really fair to talk about the original Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons um, graphic novel first, really. Uh, so we'll touch on that. So really, what's your sort of initial thoughts or what are your thoughts on Watchmen from 1985, 86? Um, I think that it holds up pretty well. I think it's lost a little bit of its prestige in the ensuing sort of last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a touchstone for me. I think it's a touchstone for a lot of uh, comics people. Uh, for a while, it was sort of the closest thing I had to a Bible is <laughs> in terms of something that I would just pick off the shelf, open to a random page and just kind of read that sequence again and sort of put it down and think about it. So Watchmen has a sort of special place in my heart for that, as I think it does a lot of comics readers. But I do think that that place in my heart has kind of lessened a little. Mm. I do feel less emotionally attached to it. I am maybe... I've been aware of its devices and sort of taken it apart and looked at how it does what it does and its structure. And I think that its flaws have become more apparent in the last uh, sort of decade and a half. Although I still think it's a titanic accomplishment and excellent. And I would recommend it to people and buy it for people. Um, You know, it's sort of that very familiar book at this point where I say, you know, that's sort of in my DNA now, but I sort of take it for granted. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I think I think very similar in many ways. It's that sort of book that if you're a comic book reader or, or you know, of, of the, the nerd world, then you are... Um, you're very aware of it. It's sort of, it's a part of that, you know, the, the Mount Rushmore of comics, it's on there. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's hugely important. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what established Alan Moore as the comics of, uh, Titan that he is. Um, I, I've read it, oof, God knows how many times I've read it quite a few times and gone back to it. And as you say, sort of one of those things you can just pull down and I, I can happily enjoy it uh, to different degrees. Like, you know, there, there have been times when I've read it cover to cover and all the sort of, uh, supplementary material between each of the chapters but then there's also times as you say i can just go and enjoy a sequence or i can just read the the issues without the supplementary material um i i still enjoy that as as a sort of as a story um i think it's hugely successful as a story do i enjoy it as a technical piece i think i still do i think there's still like you say there's some things that i think alan moore even to himself would admit that things you know if with his experience and, and view on politics now, he would probably do things differently. But Can you hear me, Scott? Um, 
no, I think I think it's still worth worth viewing. It's one of those interesting ones though that I know that people have come to me and said, um, "Should I start with Watchmen? Should I go straight to it?" And I think it's one of those things. I'm like, no, 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 no. Please read, you know, lighter stuff and some other things first. Get yourself into the universe because if you don't get yourself into the universe first, then you've got little to no chance of. Uh, of, of understanding what the hell is going on or who these characters are sort of pastiches of. Um, so, yeah, so I, I still think it has a, a, an important place, really. Um, and I, I do think it sort of, it holds up, as you say. Um, but do, do you think then it sort of, Julian, do you still think it, it deserves that, you know, often it, it hits those lists as like, the most important or the greatest graphic novel of all time. Do you still think it sort of sits in that place? Um, I don't know about the greatest graphic novel of all time. I think that it's constrained by its genre. It is, as you said, references uh, past superhero works. You kind of need a little bit of understanding of superhero history to appreciate it. You don't necessarily have to know that it's, a take on the Charlton heroes, mm. but you know, you do need a little bit of superhero literacy and comics literacy to, to appreciate it. Um, so I don't know that it's in the top spot anymore. I, I think it's in the top 10. I think it is sort of a little hard going for, for new readers. It's long, it's a little dense, it's a little cerebral. Um, it's also a little uh, silly, frankly, you know, <laughs> with the squid and, and with, some other things, but, um, you know, it is great. I love it. I think it's still in the top 10, but I don't, I think it's been kind of dethroned or displaced just a little, and there isn't as much of a consensus about what would replace it as number one. Uh, do you, you feel the same way? Yeah. I almost think it's in, it's at number one by default. Now it's almost like if you don't say that it's at number one, um, you're wrong. You know, you're going to be decried as being wrong. But oddly, you know, I think if you required, if you're required to have um, special knowledge beforehand, I almost think that sort of, it prevents it from being in that top place. Like, as I, said, I couldn't give this to a newbie. I couldn't just hand this to someone and say, oh, you've never read a comic before, but actually this is a, a good novel. You know, it's a graphic novel for you to read, um, and I actually think, you know, it should. Th- there are barriers to entry to this, and I don't think that should be um, mm-hmm. should be the case for something that's the number one graphic novel of all time. Um, we're probably going to get letters about that, but I, well, I, I I don't know about that. I mean, I I think that at least in my circles, there are now a lot of people just who are anti-Watchmen. And, you know, I think there's been a lot more awareness of things that I kind of recognized and I I sort of spent really the 90s and and early 2000s thinking, boy, somebody's going to write the essay on, like, how Watchmen is, in fact, an instance of somebody falling in love with her rapist. That is a trope that, mm. especially in the in the '90s, really was focused on in manga and and other works as really a social problem. And Watchmen has it, mm-hmm. and nobody had really hit Watchmen for a while there. And I thought, yeah, this is going to happen. I don't know that I want to be the one to do it, but. Certainly the the gender issues, the racial issues, uh, it is a work of the 80s. And it is the work of un- undoubtedly un- very intelligent, progressive people, both in you know Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and presumably John Higgins, too. Mm. I mean, these are intelligent, progressive minded people. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have problems. And I think that. In my circles, for as many people as still defend it uh, and would have no problem with it being in the top 10, there are somebody else who says, 
oh my God, why would you even put that in the top 10 anymore? Um, which I think is a little reactionary the other way. Although, you know, I'm a white dude, so, you know, that's okay. I mean, there's room for different opinions. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I mean, I think it definitely has, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a time capsule as well, though, isn't it? Because it definitely represents politics of the time and um, also sort of social uh, considerations of the time. I mean, the whole thing of, you know, um, it's, even though it was written by a Brit in Alan Moore, it obviously addresses um, some of the feelings around losing or having lost uh, in Vietnam. So, which is less of a consideration of, I suppose you could you could sort of, you know, uh, place that over with sort of like you know recent wars in Afghanistan and the Middle East. But it does; it definitely feels a, a place a, a piece for its time. Um, but it, I mean, in my opinion, I think I honestly think Alan Moore has written better works um, since. You know, I. I I talked about barriers to entry before, but I, I just think as a, as a graphic novel and as a piece of art, as a complete story, I think over the, over the last few years, I've begun to appreciate From Hell more than I mm-hmm. think I appreciate Watchmen. Um, totally fair. But I think less people read it. And I think less people read it because it had a terrible, terrible film adaptation uh, with Johnny Depp. Um which you know, less spoken about the better, really. But um, I, I, I do. I think Alan Moore has, has written better things since that don't get the attention. I think it's because for some reason we went through, and maybe again it was things like you know the, we were going through the British invasion, but there was a change in comics at that time, and you just get a series of, of <clears throat> you get a series of books that seem to just sort of say, oh yeah, now you know this is grown up comics, you know. Um, you've got Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns and all this other stuff. And people don't seem to have moved past that greatly. Um, yeah, I agree. Although I, I think that in recent years, both of those works have been attacked and they've been attacked in a way, ways that I do understand that I've already outlined about representation and social criticism um, and, and even structural problems even narrative problems within watchmen um and and dark knight which all of which i think is very fair but i also think we're in a time in which uh essentially the deconstructive mode of revisionism in the 80s is pilloried so Mm. you know i feel as if you know sort of on the left you know i know a lot of people who just think it's sexist and racist and and then and i'm not I'm simplifying there, obviously, but, uh, you know, then there are sort of a fanboy contingent who, you know, sort of say, oh, yeah, that's that dark stuff that, you know, led to Batman v Superman. Uh, You know, (laughs) we like the Marvel movies. Give us Jeff Johns, you know, Mm. give us, uh, you know, I I want Green Lantern to be Hal Jordan and show me punching something. And I do not care how smart it is, how realistic it is. Realism is stupid. and, and I really feel as if there's a sort of reactionary contingent, uh, I wouldn't say on the right, but but sort of, you know, in the in the fanboy uh, realm of things that really mocks the idea of trying to take superheroes seriously or making them realistic or uh, even caring about a consistent timeline. Um, and, and it's just very anti- all of the values of the 80s uh, superhero revolution and that British invasion uh, in a way that I I find very shocking. Yeah, it's true. I mean, one of the things, I mean, we're going to talk about the fact that this this book now has two official sequels, one in the HBO series and one in the sort of uh, in Doomsday Clock. But the, the fact of the, the, the sort of the point, well, at least one of the points that Alan Moore tried to make several times, really, uh, originally with Miracle Man and, and then obviously with, with Watchmen as well, is things have an inevitability of sort of, you know, um, with, with, with these, you introduce superpowers or you introduce the, the idea of costume superheroes, they are going to have an eventual conclusion. Like there's no event, mm-hmm. you know, 
so this idea of churning out um and you know i i'm just as guilty of enjoying these as everybody other comic nerds but this idea of churning out adventure after adventure and having to change the canon and that get obviously comes up in in doomsday clock and we'll get to that spoilers by the way we're going to spoil the crap out of both doomsday clock and <laughs> watchmen um but like you say, so that comes up. But the, the point really of Watchmen, especially with with sort of um, Doctor Manhattan and um, you know, and also sort of the conclusion for Silk Spectre and Night Owl, sort of those characters, is things end. You know, they do they, they sort of there's a suggestion that the, the world carries on, but these characters end. Like Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. gets to a point where he's like, yeah, I, I've actually got almost omnipotent powers. Like I can create life and being on earth doesn't really make much more sense to me anymore. So I'm going to go explore the cosmos. All right. Well, that's actually like almost like an inevitability of, you know, I've, I've lost that humanity that's keeping me here. Like I've got no interest in social interaction or humanity. I've actually got bigger things to think about and to consider. So I'm going to go. Okay. Well, that's almost like the Superman question, isn't it? Sort of like, you know, what makes him, care about humans like if you don't have and it's sort of i know it's sort of addressed in doomsday clock if you don't have mar and pa kent keeping you grounded then yeah you're gonna just want to go off and do things all over the place um and the same right you know in the same for sort of um silk spectre and night out as they sort of settle down um and they're like yeah i'm hanging it up we're older you know my knees can't take this much longer and we seem to have come to a level of happiness where we can deal with life. So that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, I'm not right. going to be angst ridden and troubled by this whole thing of having to save my city for the next however many hundreds of years um, and put children in harm's way. It just sort of it, it, the idea of Watchmen was to say to people, you know, even you know, was to take that the idea that he'd introduced in Miracle Man and present it to that through the DC publishing of like, look, some of these books have got a full stop. And that's what they should do. But you won't let yeah, them. Or it doesn't have to be a full stop. I mean, obviously, you know, there's that whole line, nothing ever ends at the end of mm. Watchmen, you know, which, you know, the HBO series makes a big deal of. Um, and, you know, so I don't think that it has to be a full stop. But, yeah, there's going to be progression. It's not going to have this magical return to the status quo that we associate with sort of superhero episodic adventure. Um, and one thing that you said I just want to really touch on, which is the sense of inevitability, right? Mm. You know, some of some of what you're talking about is just that characters have a narrative arc, you know, that they change and grow and they don't just change because they made their costume darker batman but they you know actually change and at some point this is not uh cool anymore their, their life is going to change um what you talked about night hour and silk specter you know the point is that you know like rorschach rorschach is crazy batman is crazy mm. uh you know to go out and beat people up because you're angry at the world i mean you are not a well-grounded individual uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre weren't as violent as that. They weren't as um, fractured and damaged as that. But they still got high off of being the hero and dressing up, uh, being allowed to dress up and go out and have these adventures. And they admit in over the course of Watchmen that part of this was sexual. Hmm. Um, and so... There is a sense of what I really love is the sense of inevitability, right? That um, I, I find that a lot of the narratives that I like the most are narratives that feel inevitable. And mm. you know, you know how the you sort of watch a movie or you read a comic and you know, it's like you get a twist and it's like, all right, you know, Luke, <laughs> I am your father, right? Yeah. Um, but you get a twist like, ha ha, you know, so-and-so was really somebody else all along. Or, you know, you just get these, you know, sort of tr- shocking twists, TM, you know, mm. where you think, oh, this was this was not true all along. You know, this might be fun. It might not. But certainly it's not inevitable given these characters in this situation. And I find that the stuff that I like the most has that sense of inevitability that, that Watchmen and Miracle Man have. Yeah, I think that's sort of where 
because I mean the the you know the the point of of Watchmen, especially the ending of Watchmen, um, the showdown they have in Karnak, is you know they get there and they confront um, um, Ozymandias and he's sort of like, oh yeah, I did that, I did it thirty minutes ago. It's done. You know, like there is no sort of grand finale. There's no defeating the villain, and even the villain in it, you know, is that thing of going like, look, I'm doing this. It's a crazy idea, but mm-hmm. it it does what it's supposed to do. It prevents, you know, we were literally on the on the you know the doomsday clock. We were one minute to midnight. We were about to have nuclear annihilation. I stopped that. I stopped the world from destroying itself. Yes, it cost us three million lives, and this is the thing. But I saved seven billion. Right, and that's and that's the sort of and you know so the character sort of. Um, reaction to that is that again that inevitability where sort of like you know night owl is broken by it but is like yeah i can i sort of have to accept that i'm a man and i I can't really do much about this um right it's already done it's yeah i can't prevent nothing i can invent as you know um can can prevent this like nothing i can do can stop it so i've sort i've now got to live in the world and actually is you know, is he right? Is 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 Adrian Veidt right? Is that is he made the right decision? Um, and it's the crazy one. It's Rorschach who is saying like, mm-hmm. no compromise. I, I've, you know, no truth must be out. We must, everyone must know. And um, it's that thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, she's like, you, the person that is less broken is the one that's saying, well, okay, well, we've, we've you know, he, he has a point, and we've got to live with that. This, um. Right. And so, for, for, you know, so the, the the result is Doctor Manhattan has to kill, um, uh, Rorschach, um, in order to prevent the escalation of nuclear war again. Just one more casualty to prevent total mm-hmm. annihilation. Is he right? And I know this is the debate that goes on, but like, is he right? Is he wrong? The the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's happened. It's that inevitable. It happened. Mm-hmm. Now you've got now you've got to deal with it. Uh, and that's what I call well, I, well, I think it's clear in Watchmen that he's right. Mm. Um, I, I don't know whether Alan Moore agrees with that. I, it, of course, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what the author's intent was. But I mean, the reason I say that is because um, Adrian is clearly intended to be correct about his perception that nuclear war will, in fact, break out. That the doomsday clock represents this, and we are yeah, a minute to midnight. Um, nuclear war is going to happen. I, I think, incidentally, that this is probably more even than the politics of sort of uh, you know the post Thatcher period and uh, Reagan in the U.S. Um, that dates Watchmen because you know I remember doing Duck and Cover in the eighties, mm. and and I you know, was uh, sort of part of the last generation that absolutely believed my life was going to end in nuclear fire. Mm. That that was just me and all my friends. We we knew we were going to die and most likely we were not going to see 20, um, you know, because Reagan was busy saying dumb shit. Like, you know, you can launch nukes from subs uh, and, you know, if you want to, you could just call them back. People were protesting outside the White House. You know, you, you can't call them back. Um, so it was a really scary time, but within, within the world of Watchmen, I, I think that narrative only works and it really wants you to believe that, yes, in fact, Vidit has, or Veidt has sort of like, uh, uh, in the, uh, foundation trilogy, he's sort of figured out this, uh, way of charting cultural energy and where a culture is going and all the trend lines are pointing to nuclear war. And if there wasn't some kind of pressure valve to release that and unite people that really that would have happened. Mm. Um, and so if you accept that, which I think the, I don't really believe, I, I, I don't think, I think that's one of the parts of Watchmen that doesn't necessarily make sense, but I think it wants you to accept that. And if you do accept that, then yeah. Um, you're left with a kind of horrible calculation in which, yeah, you know, 3 million people go ahead. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not a nice calculation, but I mean, (laughs) but is it? Is it? Is it? You know, it's that thing. It's a risk he takes. But I mean, one of the things that I see, um, you know, actually, it actually comes up in the sequels. Really, is this idea that well, actually, in Watchmen, it's 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 identified that um, Doctor Manhattan has the ability to you know deconstruct and reconstruct matter. Um, Mm -hmm. So. And he can teleport anyway. So why has he not used then to um, literally travel the world and dismantle all these nuclear weapons? Um, right. You know he could de- he could de-escalate that in a, in an instant, but it's a short. That's the thing is that becomes a short term answer, isn't it? That's just him taking away someone's toys for, but they could, they'll just rebuild them and, and they'll you know you need to sort of give them something. It's, I sort of see, you can sort of see what Vite's argument is like you've got to give them that joint um bigger bad for them to to be to be scared of to join together um and it's a it's a risk and it's a calculation and uh, you know i i love the idea behind it and, and i don't think i would be the person to make that decision um but it's how it's i sort would of handle <laughs> do you think you could do you think you could oh yeah absolutely i mean you know, I I would I would feel pain thinking about those deaths. I think that's incumbent upon us in ethical decisions. But um, I've always identified with with Veidt. Um I think Veidt is the the character I like the most, uh, and that and that certainly that carries over into the, the HBO show. But um, mm. you know, I find the depiction of Man- Doctor Manhattan uh, fascinating. I love all the Doctor Manhattan stuff. I think the depiction of Veidt is kind of like giving away his money and then making it all back is, is really, you know, unrealistic. Um, you know, it plays on the idea of the sort of self-made man that we uh, rise or fall in society to the levels that we deserve, which, I, which is fundamentally absurd and regressive. Uh, and, I, and I don't think Alan Moore was maybe in control of that element. Mm-hmm. Um but no, I mean, I I am, am comfortable with those kinds of decisions. Um, but I, think and I don't think a, many people are. No, no. I mean, I think you know one of the things I always think back to, and and, and when I read Watchmen, it, it I go back to uh, it's another comic is um, in the um, in the early eighties around the, around the same time actually. Um, there was a Judge Dredd story called uh, the Apocalypse War, um, which you know again was the, a conflict between uh, the American mega cities and the Soviet uh, Soviet bloc, as it was or as it would have been in the Judge Dredd universe. And part of mega city is obliterated by nuclear weapons. Um, and the part of the story ends when a group led by Judge Dredd breaks into the Soviet uh, stronghold in future Russia. Mm-hmm. And obliterates the Soviet bloc by pressing the button and basically just killing everybody in refiring the nuclear weapons back at the Soviet mega city and killing everyone or killing a huge amount of them. Um, and it's it's almost like the anti it's the opposite of because of of, of Vite, this whole notion of you know we know Dread is an anti-hero he's a fascist uh, and he's willing to sort of retaliate. To the to the ultimate, this is the hero of the comic is willing to press the button to kill billions of people, or at least tens mm-hmm. of millions of people, and step away the hero. Yet the villain of Watchmen is the one that's killed less people but saved more. Um, right, and it, it, you know that, that's always that's always been a bit of a. <clears throat> I've always considered those two things, those two moments of like, well, Dreads, you know, I know he's meant to be satirical and stuff, but he's still held up as the hero, and people still see him as sort of a heroic character. Yet. It's and it's in canon. It's still there. Like it's it's come back to haunt him like, <laughs> multiple times. He killed tens of millions of people, but there was no saving the rest of the world. It was an act of retaliation. That's it. Um, you well, know, it, that, it presumably saved the rest of Mega City One, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, right? There were nukes already, that made made its way through yeah so you know parts right. of mega city one had already been obliterated um and but it's it's held up as that heroic wartime act yet vite <laughs> is obviously sort of like, as you say sort of like in the book is is held up as almost like the villain it's that sort of the bond villain um yeah. thing at the end 
you make an that's fantastic. You make an excellent point, and and I think everything depends on the way things are framed. Mm. Um, and this is something that that increasingly frustrates or annoys me that like you know that's not supposed to be I, I you know I it's been a while since I read the Apocalypse War, but that's not supposed to be a heroic act within the narrative. Mm. But because Judge Dredd is in the position of the uh, protagonist, we are inclined to forgive him because we have been trained to forgive the protagonist basically any default. So, I mean, you can have somebody, you know, literally murder um, in cold blood or, you know, do something, you know, that's unforgivable. And certainly if anything's unforgivable, it's that. And as long as they're the star of the next story, we're sort of conditioned to say, oh, yeah, you know, I identify with them. Even if I don't know that they're a good guy, I want them to win. Whereas I think Watchmen is, you know, frames Ozymandias as the bad guy. And structurally within the story, he's the bad guy. He's the antagonist. Hmm. And uh, and you are invited to to question this in a way that. I, I think is impossible on a continuing narrative. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point because again, sort of that, that idea of it's almost like um, what Watchmen is set up to be a mystery. You know, it's a it, it, it's initially it starts out as a murder mystery, doesn't it? That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, who killed the comedian? Um, and so the first person that you see as a protagonist that's actively going to um, investigate this crime is is Rorschach. And so I think that's why so many people seem to instinctively say like, oh yeah, Rorschach's my favorite character, or, or Rorschach is one of the main is the main character. When even like Alan Moore himself has actually said like, you know, um, you know, whenever I meet people that tell me um, that Rorschach is their favorite character, like I, I disengage from that conversation as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, because because he's not, you know, that's the point. Like the, the point that Alan Moore is making, and he sort of tricks you into it that. Oh yeah, he's the first character you're going to meet. We're going to make him relatively sympathetic um, when you sort of learn of his past. But he is morally broken and psychologically damaged. Like this character is sort of, you know, he he is not a good person. He's not in a good place. Like he needs help, and his you know, him patrolling the streets doesn't keep anybody safe. Because if he's, you know, you could be littering and he could take that as, a, you know, a crime and just give you an absolute kicking for it like that. And he would see that as fine. And, you know, um, yeah. so I find it really interesting that sort of like, you know, Rorschach is, uh, he, he has an impact on the world and obviously on the sequels as well. But, you know, that, that hero narrative uh, and the setup of the protagonist, um, you know, I like the fact he's there to trick you. Even right. even with Night Owl, really, um, is is questionable in his. You know, you say like, as you say, like you know, he gets back into it because he's sort of like, yeah, my life. I'm going through a bit of a midlife crisis. I could buy a sports car, or I could put the costume back on. You know, it's and sort Shag's of like Silk Spectre. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's you know he's not doing it for you know. What you could say was sort of morally, you know, um, clear reasons. He's doing it because of he's got a slump in his life, and this is something he loved doing. So, or at least he enjoyed doing. It's, it's picking up a hobby, and just so happens that that hobby involved, you know, crime fighting or fighting at least. Well, I mean, that's one thing that I love about Watchmen is that it exists within a a far more realistic moral universe than the mm. average superhero story. And one of the problems with the superhero narrative is nobody has ever gotten superpowers and thought, you know what I should do with this? Let's stop some bank robbers. (laughs) You know, absolutely not. At at least like the the time that I like Spider-Man most is when he's like, oh, you know, I'm 14 or whatever. I have superpowers. I'm going to be a wrestler and make a lot of money. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. That's I, I just want let the story continue there. Don't, you know, let him learn something three years from that that story. I don't need him to learn it 10 pages later because that's Mm. what I like. Um, I just don't find it interesting or believable 
that somebody says, I'm going to stop bank robbers or, or even less believable. I'm going to stop the guy who's dressed like a scorpion and, you know, and has a stinger yeah. tail. Okay. Um, but uh, to the point about Rorschach, um, no, I mean, I, I utterly sympathize with Alan Moore there. Um, and, and, and we've talked about this a little, but I sometimes despair that like Rorschach has more in common with the Batman of the dark Knight, Right. I mm-hmm. mean, just a violent, terrible person in a lot of ways. And I sometimes despair that no matter what characters we put out into the culture, even when the writers are sort of teaching us not to uh, identify with them or, or make it crystal clear, like Rorschach is messed up, give it a few years and people will always take the authoritarian approach. Um, and I just think that at least all of us to different degrees, let me be generous, uh, are wired toward authoritarianism. And this is why, you know, when we talked uh, on Stories Out of Time and Space about uh, Starship Troopers, give it mm. time and people will be like, that's great. You know, uh, yeah. Rambo, if you, you know, if your response to Rambo is like, he's badass, that's awesome. I identify with him. Rah, rah, war. You didn't watch that movie, and yet that yeah. is exactly what everybody takes from it, uh, mm. or at least certainly a, a majority. Uh, and I think that while Rorschach is presented as human, it's sort of uh, Shakespeare doing the thing of granting the villain uh, interior space and making them a full-fledged character, at least in a few scenes. Rorschach, definitely, you can sympathize with him. He's interesting, you know, uh, but yeah, if you identify with him and come away saying, yeah, Rambo's the good guy, you've got a problem. Yeah. I think that's sort of the the thing. That's the sort of the reason I wanted to sort of touch base and talk about Watchmen in this way first was because I think obviously we've now going to talk about the, the, you know, we've talked on to the sequels and, you know, that that piece of work, Watchmen as, as a piece of work, as we've said, is a, is a, is a uh, capsule of the time. It, it, you know, it contains that sort of politics, it's social norms, um, but it's also making a comment on on the superhero narrative. And that superhero narrative is that, you know, there's things progress. And I think, you know, rather than saying there's a full stop, there's things, there's, there's progression and things have to change. And I think really both of these sequels or both the creators of the sequels, I would say, have read that book differently, mm-hmm. um, or at least in a different place. Um, and well, firstly, I mean, I'm trying to have well, to say that. I mean, perhaps even before that, we could point out that, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you remember the shock of when Snyder was directing the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Because, you know, we had grown up with Watchmen. Watchmen was this kind of sacred text that was was seen to be unfilmable. And, uh, you know, we had the, the aborted attempt in the, the sort of late 80s, early 90s uh, with Terry Gilliam. And we just thought this was never going to happen. And then it mm-hmm. happened. And it was the most loving, faithful adaptation of Watchmen that, that you could possibly imagine. I mean, they changed the squid ending. There's a brilliant title sequence that, mm. you know, has some stuff that, that wasn't there, uh, but just got the tone so dead wrong. You know, Alan Moore has, uh, and, and Dave Gibbons have Watchmen, have uh, Rorschach going up the side of a building to investigate the comedian's murder. And while that's a little unrealistic, they wanted these to be characters who suffered and, you know, uh, struggled and were out of shape. And then Snyder yeah. has them punching through walls and <laughs> flipping around, doing jump kicks, you know, during the the raid on the prison. And it just feels like, you know, I think that's still a good movie. I, I, I would defend that film. But there was something missed as far as the tone. And I think that the reason I mention this is because I think both when you look at Doomsday Clock and you look at HBO's Watchmen, they get certain things from the mm. original. They take it in different directions, but they both miss things in the original or mm. choose to ignore them. 
uh, in the same way that Snyder chose to ignore sort of that realistic tone. I think, yeah, I mean, to talk about the Snyder version, um, and obviously there's multiple versions of that film, um, there are things I like about it. It's it's a perfectly watchable film. As in it, I mean, it looks beautiful. I mean, you know, um, whatever my feelings are about Snyder as a director, uh, I think he is a wonderful um, photographer. Like, he has got a really good eye of how to film some things. Um, I do agree that I think, you know, some of the casting is um, spot on. And, you know, um, I think J- um, Jackie Earl Haley is fantastic. And he he clearly, I think he clearly gets that Rorschach is not a nice person. Like, you know, he understands mm-hmm. that, uh, that that character is broken and sort of like, you know, goes a long way to portraying him in that way. I think he's really good in the role. But again, like you get, we get back to that sort of the Silk Spectre and um, Night Owl, and the fact is, like throughout it, like you say, they sort of allude to the fact that uh, that Night Owl is, you know, he's middle aged. He, he sort of suggests he's a little bit out of shape. He hasn't really been keeping up his exercise or whatever. But then the moment he puts on the flaming Night Owl costume, and they they start rescuing people, like I say, when he goes into the prison to. Um, to rescue Rorschach, like yeah, no, no, you're basically watching sort of uh, Batman v Superman. Like you're watching that yeah. level of sort of like they're snapping legs and sort of like say flipping over people. <laughs> and I'm just like, and yeah, it is. It's I'm like, oh no, you, you sort of like taking, you, you know, you're giving with one hand and taking with the other. It's sort of like at least sort of like commit to it. Um, but yeah, uh, and so we have had that, and I think like you say, we it's it's. I have got issues with that film, um, and it, it's one of those. Well, I mean, I can take, I can leave it, or take it or leave it. I think. Right. I mean, I, I, I might like it more than you do. Um, I, I was, I was maybe devastated after I saw it in the sense that you know it wasn't my Watchmen, and I didn't know how to feel about it. Um, you know, and and Watchmen means something to me. Um. But I mean, the other reason why I bring it, it up and think it's important to address is because um, my brother basically hasn't read a comic book in 25 years, uh, maybe 20 years. And he loves Watchmen, the, mm. the Snyder film. And I, I don't think he ever read the graphic novel, even though I had it. I mean, I guess he just didn't want to read it. Um you know, and he basically gave up comics when he was 14 or so and, and never looked back. But when he watches that Snyder movie, he says, look, it's indisputably the best superhero movie ever made. Uh, at least superhero movie with powers. I actually agree with that um, <coughs> for all of its flaws. And, you know, so for somebody who is did not grow up with Watchmen as a, as a sacred text the way we did, that movie was able to show them a lot of what we admired about Watchmen, you know, Dr. Mm -hmm. Manhattan on Mars, Dr. Manhattan in Vietnam, that they are old and out of shape, that it's not just glorious, that Rorschach is messed up. All of that stuff resonates with a smart moviegoer who doesn't know comics in a Mm -hmm. way that you and I can't identify with. And I think that especially talking about HBO's Watchmen, that, definitely that same dynamic applies. No, I agree. And I think it's it's difficult to translate comics, especially something as large as Watchmen, to the, to the screen. And, you know, Snyder captured as much as he could and then did it all in slow-mo. But there are certain moments in the book that I think are really important that I just don't, you know, I think sort of... Um, one of the points that I always took away from the book is although you've got these costumed adventurers and you've got someone with superpowers and everything else going on and trying to solve this mystery and eventually sort of coming to the point of, um, you know, conclusion and actually understanding what the mystery is and obviously, you know, the whole thing with the squid or whatever, that's all fine. I mean, it's it's almost like the Indiana Jones effect from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, you know, even if they didn't do anything, even if, they, you know, even if, like, Rorschach didn't investigate and Night Owl didn't get involved. Like the, the the event at the end would still happen. It would still be exactly the same. They don't mm-hmm. really impact on a great deal, but the story's good. Like you know, you get to have the the, un, the mystery unpacked. Um, so the thing that I sometimes take away from Watchmen I enjoy more 
is there's little moments like you know the kid and the little boy is reading the the pirate comic and the mm-hmm. the guy at the newsstand. Um, New York. Yeah, and then the you know the sort of the relationship between uh, Rorschach's um, psychiatrist and his wife, yeah. and how that sort yeah. of relationship disintegrates. And you basically get this sort of eventually towards the end, you've got these several relationships that are all coalescing in sort of that one place when the um, the event, you know, the, the New York event happens. Because um, the whole point is like, yeah, these superpowers, these superpowers can't seem to come to a conclusion. They're not going to come to an agreement. So they're about to bomb the crap out of each other. So this is the conclusion I've come to is I'm going to have to introduce this bigger bad for them to worry about. But at, at, at ground zero, you're seeing all these people that actually, like you know, I've come to like and sort of learn mm. a bit a bit about, like you know, more sort of slips them in. It's like, you know, you've got this, and then you learn a bit more and more. So when you're actually seeing them at the end, like it gives Vites, although you've said about you know, yes, he's made the right decision, and you, you, know, you sort of he is portrayed as being right, but you are being shown the impact of that decision. Because yeah. you've been given snippets of those characters, so it has an impact. It has weight. It has a, a, a you know an emotional resonance. The problem I think is with Snyder is he likes the big bang and the slow mo fighting. Yeah, but but he misses that sort of thing. So when they eventually have the thing at the end, and granted, I like I do like the change. I think the change, you know, made sense uh, for the big screen to make it so that he could blame Doctor Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. I think it's a good idea, but um, it, it you just see it, you know, you see the end and you go, oh yeah, that's terrible, but it's no more terrible than seeing. Um, it's, it's supposed to be the big impact at the end of the film, but it's no inter- It's no different to seeing a city being destroyed in Independence Day or right. Transformers or some other superhero film like it it didn't have that emotional impact that I that, that Alan Moore gives it and I think that's one of the things I sort of you know if he held back in other areas he could have slipped that in a bit more and been a bit more conscious of that of what he yeah, was doing what's, what's strange is like it, it, it's such a faithful adaptation i mean Snyder had to fight for so much so many shots in that mm. film there are shots of, you know, the auto repair shop, you know, that's a, you know, obsolete models of specialty. They recreated that sign. Mm. Uh, that was not cheap to do. And it's for one shot just yeah. to frame that shot like it is in the comic. At the same time, you can understand why they would cut this stuff. It's it's exactly the kind of stuff that in a two hour movie or, you know, three hour movie winds up on the cutting room floor. Mm. But I agree with you. And I think especially the psychiatrist sequence. I mean, I remember watching it for the first time in theaters and thinking like, okay, well, we're 25 minutes in or so. And that's the end of Watchmen number one. And, you know, Mm. because I have in my head, I know exactly where each issue ends. So Mm. it's like, okay, now we're X many minutes. And it's like, all right, now we're at the end of, you know, Watchmen number two. We've had the whole funeral with the flashbacks. And I'm mm. thinking like, okay, we're like 45 minutes into this movie. There's going to be a lot of compression. <laughs> and we get to that psychiatric sequence, which is really important to me. Um, I happen to be uh, an atheist. And, you know, the loss of faith, whether whatever your religious beliefs are, the loss of faith as one encounters violence. And in, in the case of Rorschach, it was violence. In the case of the psychiatrist, mm. it's Rorschach. Um it's important to me. It's also important to understanding cops and people who do deal with uh, this kind of violence. And I remember all of that was like, it's like, okay, we're starting that chapter. And then that's like six minutes total. And in six minutes, he's like, I have seen the darkness. And I'm like, what? You just yeah. started seeing the darkness five yeah. minutes ago. You know? <laughs> so I, there are things like that, that, that hurt me as well. But yeah, so it, it is as a as a movie, and you know, I think I think it's a, it's a fun experience. But um, it's one of those that should never have been a movie. Like it, you know, I think one of the things I'll take from the HBO series is that Watchmen, um, you know, as as the original graphic novel, it should, should never mm-hmm. have been a film. Like it should have been like a a twelve mm-hmm. hour, you know, twelve episode uh, 
maxi series or premiere series on, on HBO or something like that. That's what I think, you know, that's what it could have been. But uh, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, so you want to do Doomsday Clock or HBO yeah. first? Let, let's let's do, do Doomsday Clock. Let's do Doomsday Clock first. Um... It's February 5th. I'm posting the next episode. Julian and I have been discussing Doomsday Clock and the HBO series. Many people are listening in and enjoying our discussion. It's a fantastic episode. I wonder if you're there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another great 20th Century Geek episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. That's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. Or find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search for 20th Century Geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget, we love secondhand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.